The way you look at things, the things you look at change. What exists, reality itself, is gorgeous. It is the plenum, the fullness of total joy. The universe is a celebration. It's a fireworks show to celebrate that existence is. Wow, we. For those of us seeking a life of meaning and purpose, capturing fulfillment in every moment of now, seeking the truth of our reality so we can live this life to its fullest. This is the Live This Life Podcast. And I'm your host, Hugh Cummings. I'm here to inspire you to ask yourself the question every day. Are you living or are you killing time? What's going on, everybody? In today's episode, I have an amazing guest. David Strickle is the host of the Stream of David podcast. He has an amazing story on how he observed life through a completely different lens, and he really shifted the way that he views life after several significant changes um, that changed his views on consciousness, uh, and really everything in reality and how we can sort of hold ourselves back or enhance our lives by the way that we approach things in our life. David's story spans from how he knew something was different about himself from a younger age all the way up into his corporate life as an adult and how he shifted everything that he did in his world to lead to what he's doing now and how it led him into the the stream of consciousness that he talks about a lot on his own podcast, The Stream of David. So, David Strickle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. It's great to have you on here. Um, like you and I were talking about before I hit the record button, uh, there's been quite a few interviews that I listened to and you've had a lot of great conversations and I love your insights on consciousness. Uh, just the subject of consciousness alone fascinates me because there's so much we don't know about it and so much that we do know that I'm still trying to learn uh, all the aspects of it. So I know that there's a lot of people out here who feel the same way and that you're going to be able to bring a, a bunch of good nuggets of information to everybody on the show. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> at least. That's right. So the question I always ask of everybody when they first come on is, what does it mean to live your best life, according to David Strickle? I think we put a lot of pressure in our society on, on this living your best life idea of crushing everything and being so perfect at everything and experiencing your bucket list and all of that. But for me, living your best life is learning to find a heightened appreciation for the life that you've had that you're currently having and then projecting into the future with more intention of just allowing a, a lovely vibrational journey of experiences as a human being. And that can be material things and travel and all of that sort of stuff. It doesn't all have to be this, uh, you know, meditative type work, certainly, but I have found such great joy in reappreciating things that I sort of glossed over in my young adult life and the things that are happening in my life now, little things every single day bring me such deep joy that I think very often we just take these things for granted. What we're all seeking is joy in life, to have fun, 
to have joyous experiences, to satisfy curiosities and things like that, that everyday exploration of the vibrational journey that is life. That's, that's my living my best life. That's my definition of it. I've got to say, that's probably one of the best answers that I've ever gotten to that question. I mean, I mean, people confuse doing with being so much and then sometimes vice versa. There's there's a lot of people who are in the schools of thought like Taoism where they're so focused on the being and, you know, really not doing that they're not out there getting some of those really joyful experiences, those things that are, you know, eviscerating and, and, and are fun and everything else. It's almost like they have the you know, the mindset that they can't go out and have fun and do great, exciting things and be spiritual and, and present and conscious at the same time. And it's like, just like you said, it's all of it. It's life is what it is. It's a great answer. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to dive into, uh, first off, where you came from in this journey. You know, what what led you to where you were now, especially the story from where you came from a young age and going into corporate. Um, and then, you know, once we've, we've dove into that a little bit, I'd love to first dive into what the stream of David actually is, because I think that was one of the things I found most captivating in your story, because um, I definitely have some questions and uh, some some things I'd like to, to talk about in that whole aspect. So wherever you feel like it's appropriate to dive in, in, let's dive into how you got to the point of observation of, of life and reality to where you are now. Well, I, I guess I'll start at the beginning. I, I, we all start out there and we operate in what I call this matrix of reality, this collective consciousness belief system you know, that drives humanity. We learn how to operate in the matrix, what's expected of you in terms of religious uh, beliefs, cultural, family traditions, education system, all of that. We get drawn into this matrix that sort of tells us how to be a human being. But that is being questioned now more than ever. In fact, I think the questioning of that is something that is really amping up in our society. And we're seeing a lot of things shift because of that. A lot of things changing, especially over the last two years. But the start where I started was really early childhood because my parents split when I was six. And that's a very, uh, that, that three to five range is very impactful. And my parents were really not that present in my life during that period. They were busy. You know, my father was busy having an affair and my mother was busy being depressed about it. And they ultimately, my father left and I uh, wasn't really put that present in my life for the rest of my life, you know, just off and on. And my mother was in this deep depression that she never climbed out of. So I didn't have that parental guidance available to me. So I had, in my view, no choice, but to rely on that, that source consciousness, that that knowing how things operate that we have as a young child that we lose as we're indoctrinated into the matrix. I never really allowed myself to be indoctrinated. I questioned everything. I questioned uh, religion. I really wasn't a good student in school. I had the gift of being dyslexic. So I didn't fit the mold of the, the, the typical student. So I wasn't considered, I think they considered me intelligent, but lazy and not a good student. And I wasn't diagnosed until the end of high school with dyslexia. So I didn't fit into the matrix that well and not fitting into the matrix ended up being the best thing ever for me because I always defaulted back to that inner knowing of how life operates and how the universe operates. And I, I never, um, you know, I, I never shook that. And I remember at age 14 being a big turning point for me, for some reason, I really had figured out what we call now the law of attraction. I didn't know that it was called that. In fact, I always joke that I thought it was my invention at that point. I thought it was something I created. I remember telling my older brother, I was 14, he was four years older, that I, I, I 
figured out this really cool thing that if you believe something, it, it comes true. And he thought that was insane, and I'm sure he still does. But I believed it, and I knew it. And I, I had a very uh, interesting life as a teenager as a result of that. I, I had material things like the rich kids in town had, but I was from a minimum wage single parent household. But I had the stuff. And to this day, I still can't fully explain how it all showed up. It just always showed up. Well, I took that knowing into my adult life. I went into business for myself uh, early on. I wasn't terribly successful, but I learned a lot in it. And then I got into the corporate world. And in the corporate world, I knew I had to hide all of that. You can't function in society in general. You, if you're going to be a, a popular person with friends and have that you know, fun life in your teens and 20s, you can't go around talking about source energy and, yeah. <laughs> and things like that. You probably can now, but you know, in the, in the 1980s, you didn't do that. Well, so, it's a little more accepted, but still, even people look at you cross-eyed sometimes. Yeah, like, yeah oh, still, really? mainstream <laughs> society thinks that it's all woo-woo and it's crazy and we're all kooks and all that stuff. So I learned how to keep that very well hidden. And the only thing I would share is that I did go to psychics pretty often. Uh, and I was always going to psychics, really just trying to figure out why why do I not view the world everyone else does, even though I know how to function in it, I know that it's all BS, you know, that I'm living in this structure that's like a human creation. And so I learned really to keep it hidden. And I functioned for 25 years in the corporate world as a corporate executive, uh, keeping all of that really pushed down. But it got to a point in my life where I couldn't keep it hidden anymore. It became such a profound thing for me in my 40s. That was just such a highly transformative time for me. And, and I, I went back to what I was receiving in my teens. And in, in, before my teens, early childhood even, this, this knowing that would just drop in about how the world works and how I can manipulate you know, reality to, to make it catch up to what I want. And I did that uh, all through my 40s. That was my whole 40s was a study of that. And that's really where I created uh, the practice that we call Taya today was my own creation from this inner knowing. And then I discovered uh, what channeling was. I was told that I was a channel by a psychic uh, years and years ago. I didn't want any part of it. I thought it was weird. I didn't want to be a weirdo, you know. And so I kept that hidden. But I did understand that I had this information just boom, dropping in and just knowing stuff. And then I uh, discovered some really uh, prolific channels out there, one being Abraham Hicks, um, that made what Abraham did for me is it made channeling not so weird. It just seemed okay that this woman, Esther Hicks, is channeling uh, this, this thing that she calls Abraham, and it seems to line up a lot with what I was getting from what we now call the stream. And for a long time, I was a real Abraham junkie, thinking, gosh, this is, this is somebody that I understand, I get it. But then there were some things that weren't there that I was getting kind of in addition to that that went a little bit deeper. And I wasn't being judgmental about it. I loved it, what, I, what Esther was offering, but I was really guided to share those things. And so I taught myself to speak what was coming in and to write. And it's not some magical thing that just happened the way it happened for Esther Hicks, if you're into Abraham Hicks. Um, it was just something that I, I already had the knowing coming in. And over time, I taught myself to do it. But ultimately, it was an allowing of it to just come forth. And I started doing it on my podcast. The Stream of David podcast in 2017 was the very first time I ever channeled publicly, ever. 
and it's evolved significantly since then. The message, I what I did at that time is I cut Abraham off. I cut all external teachers off, not because they're bad or wrong or anything like that. I think they all have value. I think they're all great, but I didn't want to be plagiarizing what other people were doing. Mm -hmm. And early on, I would share things and people would say, well, gosh, that sounds a lot like Abraham. Well, I'm not trying to rip off Abraham. I'm trying to let the stream be the stream. And I was very guided to do that. Mm. And that turned out to be a good thing because the stream's teachings are not that they're rooted in universal law, but they're not identical to any other teachings that are out there. I, I allowed it to become its own unique thing. And it's turned out to be something that's very effective in helping people transform their lives. Mm. And that's really interesting because you don't hear a lot of people do that. It, it, there's not a lot of people who will actually admit that they've cut off everything else because a lot of people will actually plagiarize and sort of go off on their own tangents when it comes to a lot of spiritual concepts and everything. But having no outside influence, that means like your subconscious wasn't there influencing when, when you were tapping into whatever it was. Your subconscious wasn't pulling information that you had stored from some other source. That's real interesting to hear. But there's certainly a couple things I want to dive less into. Less and less and less over time, certainly. Yeah. So I want to mention just a couple things in just that first part of your story. Like when you were younger and you couldn't explain how these things were just coming to you, that it's such an innocent way to describe the law of attraction happening for somebody who doesn't actually know what it means. And a lot of time you hear people doing it by default and sometimes it's in a negative way. A lot of the times I've heard it from people, it's in a negative way. They're attracting the things they don't want because of the societal conditional programming of lack and fear and everything that's out there in the mainstream media. So people are almost defaulted into that mode and they're not defaulted into a mode of abundance and everything else where that law of attraction, because it'll bring you the good and the bad, you know, whatever frame of mind you're in. So it's interesting for you to say that just from a young age, it was happening. You didn't know how it was happening. It was, it's pretty innocent to hear it described that way. And I, it's funny, you, I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting that you use the word innocent because now that I think about it, it was very innocent because I had not studied anything other than uh, Christianity as a Methodist, uh, being raised in the Methodist church. And, and of course, um, law of attraction is very counter to all of that. You know, that's kind of giving your power away to God uh, to, do, to do for you. And I do believe that we operate on belief systems. And if your belief system is that God is going to provide for you, then you create that reality for yourself. Mm. And there's, I don't, I don't ever demonize anyone's belief system. There's nothing wrong with any belief system, but you're right. Most of humanity is running on that fear and judgment, uh, collective belief system, just enough fear and judgment to sort of keep us all, uh, behaving, you know, in the way that society wants us to behave, obeying the rules and obeying the laws and getting this type of education and working for that type of company and this type of job and sort of serving. And, and there's duality in that like anything else. So yes, all that structure has brought us along to where we are now with all of our technology and everything. But I believe that we're collectively becoming so intelligent that we're kind of looking back and questioning all of that structure. Do we need all of that anymore? Right. Do we need to be controlled that way? In every generation, you see less and less desire for authority, mm -hmm. less and less desire to believe in religion or government or borders 
or even gender now. We're seeing that more and more. Every generation you go, younger and younger and younger, they don't even want to be defined by a gender anymore. Right. So it's it's really uh, the, the matrix is crumbling, essentially. I, yeah. I see it fighting for life, definitely. I think the pandemic was all about that. But it is crumbling, ultimately. Mm. The, uh, the, the early age that you questioned everything, too, and actually, before I move on to that, so when it comes to Christianity, it's interesting that you had sort of a Christian background because you're right. It doesn't sort of put your belief systems rooted in you. It really puts the belief systems rooted in an outside source, which I don't know if you follow the teachings of Jesus and everything deep enough. It's it's all one. It's all within you. The father's within you. You know, all that comes from it. And a lot of what was removed from Christianity is a lot of the the belief when they when they modified the Bible back in I think it was you know the Council of Nicaea in 325 or somewhere around there but a lot of the stuff that was in that was in the context of more of the internal so a lot of what you maybe have learning at that age was the traditional Christianity but the stuff that has been removed and still out there and it's sort of bubbling to the surface now completely completely puts it in another frame of mind so when you say christianity wasn't in that way it's like well the the modified version wasn't but the original rooted version when you dig deep into it actually is which is even more fascinating because it, it roots a lot of this and from the perspective that you were in you were a kid of a minimum wage background and you saw other people who had a little bit more than you did it's easy to get in that and look at that polarity and say, man, I don't have what they have. I'm in a state of lack because I don't have what they have, but you didn't, you did the complete opposite and it just kept steamrolling for you going forward on there. So it just, it, it's great to hear that from a young age, people's mindsets can be completely transformed and go that way into their adult lives. Yeah. The, the, the interesting habit that I developed early on because the, uh, my childhood, my extended family, and then my father remarried uh, right after he divorced my mother and, and had a child with his second wife, who is my half-sister. And they all were what I would call upper middle class. So I was exposed to kids that had brand new cars on their 16th birthday, swimming pools. They went to camp. Uh, you know, They went to Disney World, uh, lived in nice homes, parents owned businesses and things like that. That was all around me. And then we were this, you know, this little blip of minimum wage, you know, the hand-me-down kids and all of that. That ended up being, it was a painful experience as a child mm. to, to be around the haves. I, I told a story in my, my first book about uh, going over to my Aunt Irene's house. My brother and I went over to her house to work for her cleaning her yard. And my cousins were inside watching TV and eating popcorn while we were working. Same, same relation to this woman. But they had money and they didn't need it. We did. So she paid us to go out and clean her yard while the other two male cousins that were around our age got to sit and watch TV. That's a character building moment. Yeah, very <laughs> much so. Very much so. And, and you know, and another character building moment or series of moments that character building mindset is questioning everything. And I hear, you know, a lot of different parts of your story um, I can resonate with. I had similar types of things when I was a kid of, you know, I was intelligent, but in school I was, it was either bored or whatever else. But I remember questioning literally everything, not so much what is that and why is that, you know, those, those kind of questions that little kids will tend to ask sometimes, but more of the deeper of like, why is it that way? And why do we do something like this? And how come, you know, just very inquisitive to the deeper questions that I often found adults not being able to answer my questions. And I'm curious if you felt the same way. Did you feel like you were inquisitive to the point where people 
maybe were annoyed by you or that they didn't have oh, answers yeah. that you were maybe trying I was, to seek? I was a very adult. I, I don't ever remember feeling like a child, first of mm -hmm. all. I never wanted to do child things. My older brother was a Cub Scout. And I, I remember uh, you know, seeing all of them dressed in their uniforms and stuff, thinking that was just the silliest thing ever. And I was four years younger. Wow. And it was, I just always felt like more like an adult. I just always did. I didn't really have a typical childhood because I was so in my head and so questioning things. And that continues to this day. And I will tell you one of the things about the stream that I love so much, and I refer to them because it's a consciousness that I'm tapping into that is beyond me, but they're not former people. They're not God. They're not a deity. They are the collective consciousness that we call source that, that everyone has access mm -hmm. to. The unique thing about me is that I never learned to turn it off. I kept it going and tapping into it. I went really deep into it. And then ultimately, I just taught myself how to communicate from that perspective, getting out of the way, getting my ego out of the way as much as possible in my belief system and fears. They have said things that are uh, you know, very unpopular or not politically correct, but truth. And what I love about the stream is they always say, question everything, including us, including mm -hmm. this. Because what they do constantly is they give you these tools and this insight and direct us to apply it in our lives and see for ourselves. It's not gospel. It's not this is the only way. It's not you must do this and obey and listen. Right. It's nothing like that. It is this, is this is how the universe works. This is why you come to physical. And this is how vibration works. And this is why you're on this up and down sort of journey that you're all on. And this is how you can have more appreciation for it. And in your appreciation of it, have more joy in that vibrational journey mm. and more abundance ultimately, because it, it, it eliminates what I call the vibration of need, right? Because when you learn to love what is and what was and really authentically appreciate it, that need for that next big thing isn't so great in your life anymore. And when the need diminishes, generally it shows up. The universe does deliver what you desire, but if you desire it so badly that you're sending out the signal that it's not here and I need it to be here, well, the universe is not a judgmental entity. So the universe is just going to deliver whatever you're thinking without prejudice. Yes, more of that. Yes, more sickness, more poverty more whatever it is you're vibing with is what your experience is going to be. It's a form of ask and you shall receive. It's it's the same exact thing and people don't realize that. That everything is the ask. The, the focus is the ask. That's why judging and demonizing uh, things and events and people never works. The, the more focus you put upon you know school shootings or political things that you don't like, you're adding power to it. Right. As part of the collective, you're, you're throwing fuel on it. And it's, it's very hard to get out into mainstream society and say the solving of the problem is always in the appreciation of it, not in the demonization of it. But it works. Yeah. It absolutely works. I see, I work with people every day where I see them change major things in their lives when they finally get to that place of embracing it and appreciating it and loving it. And it all shifts. People, circumstances, events, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. And I can speak from my own experience. This, I want to say this is probably the first year and I want to say it's only going back to maybe six, seven months of this year that I have actually been in an absolute rampage of appreciation is kind of like how I've described it to my wife that 
going back five years, five years ago, I went through my dark night of the soul and looking back five years, if you would have told that guy five years ago that I was going to be in the place that I am right now, it would have been like, yeah, I don't believe it. No way. You know, there's no way I would have. I'm so appreciative to, to look at the contrast between that time and this time. And I think it was that realization in and of itself that brought me to such a state of appreciation. And from there, once I was so rooted in appreciation for where I am and what I do have, I found myself no longer saying, I wish I just had this now. Yeah, I have goals, but I really don't wake up and long for certain things anymore. It's okay if I want it, I'll work toward it or whatever, but still waking up with the appreciation of what's there. And it really eliminated exactly what you said of that next thing that tends to, if you're in that mindset, get even worse as you get older. It's where that midlife crisis thing kicks in and you got to buy the Ferrari and get a new girlfriend and whatever else comes into people's lives that way. So it's really interesting to hear you bring it up in that, that way. So... One thing I wanted to dive into was you mentioned Abraham Hicks. So early in my spiritual journey, I listened to a lot of Abraham and I'm completely open-minded, but a lot of people will look at just that word channeling and the subject of channeling in a very woo-woo way, um, very much like they look at the chakras and energy and all that kind of stuff. But again, to point back toward mainstream religion, there's a lot of religious figures and stories that would get information and knowledge from disembodied voices or entities they would have connections with god or whatever else and this comes from numerous religions there is no difference between that and what we would call in a modern day type of thing is channeling and even what people might get when they get in moments of clarity whether you're a meditator or not the the moments of clarity that people can get when they're in artistic flow musical flow whatever you tap into from time to time i don't see any difference from any one of those things so when you think about it like that it almost erases the sort of woo woo aspect to it but how would you best describe that the way that you get that information to somebody who is skeptical about that whole subject of channeling we, we are operating in duality we're in a polarized environment so there's there's a what we might call positive and negative to everything really it's two different experiences and as beings we have the source version of us the eternal version of us and then we have the ego human version of us and there's a purpose for both neither are bad you know or anything like that but vibrationally we do move more into source when we would consider our vibration to be higher and we move more into our ego when our vibration is lower. I do a whole training. It's on my YouTube channel. It's like a 20 minute training that really breaks down um, your vibrational spiral and how you're operating at these different levels. We've assigned numbers to them just for the teaching purpose. So when you're in lower vibration, you're, you are more in your humanity. And when you're higher, you're more allowing of source. You're more trusting of the universal process of creation, which we're all in and, and participating in all the time, no matter what. The channeling part of it is having your vibration high enough so that you're capable of new thought. Uh, I always say the middle of your spiral is sort of a baseline and everything above is you're capable of new thought. Everything below your ego is, is remanufacturing based on the past. You know, you were hurt by this this one time and you don't ever want to be hurt again. So you're going to build this wall of never again on that topic. You know, that's how our ego tends to operate. Mm -hmm. Source is very different than that. Source is not judging anything. Source is the eternal version of us. We can't possibly get life wrong. 
There's nothing wrong with being broke or addicted to drugs or sick or any of those things, according to source. Our human side, of course, wants to not have those experiences necessarily, but the source side of us loves it all. It's all an experience. It's uh, this, The stream has said it's like coming for a weekend trip, a very quick little weekend trip that's going to give you a, a, an immersive experience you know, away from your normal life. That's what our human journey really is. So that source side of things is our creativity. And we all channel. I have even heard uh, Adele is one of my favorite singers, and she was being interviewed by Oprah. And of course, Oprah is way into all of this woo-woo mm -hmm. stuff. And Adele said, it's not, I'm channeling when I'm singing. She said that, I'm channeling when I'm singing. That that harmony and that that perfection or near perfection that she's got going on when she sings is her version of source projection. We all have it. We tamp it down with our ego and fear and judgment and all of that human stuff, but we all have it in some way. We're not all meant to express it the same way. When I say that we're all channels, I don't think that everyone is going to speak and write the way I do or Esther or somebody like that, but we do it in our own way and we all have, all of us have access to that clarity, which is much more important than the speaking or the singing or any of that stuff. That clarity of purpose and that appreciation of exactly what you're experiencing in your now, that's available to everybody, no matter where you are, what you're experiencing, anything that you're suffering in, you're suffering because you've been taught to judge it. And that I always say that that, uh, that little sentence, this should not be, that's the root of all suffering. Mm -hmm. When you're in an experience and you're judging it as it should not be, then you're creating the suffering. When you accept the experience, that's even in psychology, then all of a sudden the suffering dissipates. Mm -hmm. And if you go radically into appreciation of the suffering, it ends. Mm -hmm. Things solve themselves. You get up into that source territory and at the, in the lower high vibration, I, I, I label it uh, positive 5, positive 10, 15, and 20 is the very top of your spiral. At positive 5, your ego is still very present, and you're sort of co-creating with source. If you're into Abraham, you know what co-creating means. They talk mm -hmm. about it all the time. And that's, that's where your human perspective and your human ego is involved. And you're creating something from your ego, but you're uh, you're believing in it enough and, and appreciating enough to where it comes to be. Like uh, Steve Jobs operated, I think, in positive five all the time. Uh, not 100% of the time, but that was his default vibration, was that belief in his worthiness, his ability to create, and his ability to make things actually materialize was how he operated in his business, not in his health. <clears throat> but the higher vibrations things become even more automatic. And I have spent uh, this last year in what I call, I got myself way up into that positive 10, positive 20 territory where you really don't want anything. You want for nothing. You don't worry about judgment. Uh, you don't worry about um, you know, your, your physical appearance as much, you know, if you go back a couple of years, I used to dye my beard and I was much more into fitness and tanning. And I had a very different physical appearance that I do now. And I literally got into this place where my well being was very present, but my projection from my ego perspective just diminished and I didn't need anything. And life got really interesting. I don't think that we're necessarily meant to be up there. We're not meant to go, you know, meditate our lives away on a mountaintop somewhere and be at the top of that spiral all the time right. because I've seen value in my life at every, uh, every place on that spiral. 
So it's just about moving the default up, making day-by-day -day decisions to, to, of focus so that you're focusing above neutral and having a more positive day. Pretty soon that turns into a more positive life. And you do see life populate around you in a much more positive way than what you were experiencing before in every way. Yeah, I mean, universal law goes in with that. I mean, you can't stay up at the top all the time. You have to have the ebbs and flows. But like you said, if the baseline is a higher level, then those lows aren't going to be as much. And, you know, you mentioned a couple big names already that, you know, Oprah, Steve Jobs, a lot of these people, a, a huge portions of these circles of people who most of the world would consider mega successful are into this kind of stuff. But when... You get into circles and, and maybe people aren't as experienced with it as others. Uh, you bring people into that conversation and they'll immediately dismiss a lot of these things. But it's like, yeah, but some of the richest, most mega successful people who are actually not keeping this in the in the club, in the secrets of, of secret societies or whatever, they're out there trying to tell people like this is how you bring about positivity in your life, success, abundance, whatever that means for you, abundance of love, money, time, whatever it is. Uh, but these things are out there and there's so many people across the, the higher echelons of society that are well into this and have been for a very long time. And that's probably the, some of the secret sauce to their success for decades like Oprah and, and people like her. Yes, yeah, I think we're, we're taught to be ashamed of it and keep it hidden like I did in my corporate job because mm -hmm. I, you know, I wasn't the CEO of my company. I reported to the CEO, but I wasn't at the very top. So I couldn't be uh you know that the the weirdo i i had to sort of conform until i just couldn't anymore and i think people sort of in the middle class and upper middle class really are really sorry about that really steeped into the matrix so much that yeah. they they want to get in and play that role and be normal they want to be normal so bad i want to be seen as, as normal and successful and mainstream and if they have any of this going on at all they don't like to talk about it and then when they get to a certain level of success they feel like they have a license now that, hey, I can, you know, Oprah, certainly. I don't think she talked about the woo-woo stuff as much earlier in her show nope. as she did later, where she's like, I'm Oprah now. I can talk about anything, yeah. and it's okay because I'm Oprah. I've got the proof that what I believe works for me, and now I can share it. Yeah, and I can completely sympathize with all that, and I want to dive into your story about how you went from the corporate stuff and what that transition was like because I'm I'm sort of transitioning into a different phase of my own life. So for my own knowledge and for the people that are listening, I'd love to hear how your story transitioned. But even for me, I'm, I'm in a position where I'm up near top administration in my, my full-time job, and I'm also in politics. I'm, I'm part of a, a board that runs a town like a mayor. It's basically a mayoral board. So diving into some of the stuff that I have in this podcast over the last three years has always been with a level of fear of judgment, right? You know, you have these people in the public who are looking at me as a politician. You have people in the regular job that are looking at me. And eventually, I didn't even tell people about this show at first, you know, because I had the interests of, of the things that we're talking about on here, and I was afraid of that judgment. And people ask me now, it's like, well, well what shifted? Eventually, I didn't care. And I knew that I was reaching so many people. I had such great feedback from the podcast and everything that I was doing that eventually I owned it all, you know, and then got a vehicle that's got the podcast stickers all over the back of it and stuff. And then eventually people started checking it out and having conversations. The people who I thought were judging me 
became listeners and followers and that's what shifted it so there's like no easy answer to say like well how do you shift that judgment how do you just give up being afraid of what people think about you and do the things that are authentic and do what you want to do but there is somewhat of a common recipe where you somehow shed it and let it go how did that develop for you going from your corporate world and having these interests all the way from a young age and how did you sort of transition into what you're doing now releasing that fear of judgment well for for everything i like i love the word detuning we use the word detuning in our practice about everything detuning your ego detuning your transgressors detuning your fear because you don't just you know you read a book you get inspired oh i'm going to do what this book says this is great it's going to change my life and then two weeks later you're back to doing exactly what you've always done you've forgotten all about the book that's very normal because we have these well-developed vibrational paths that we've spent a lifetime creating and to ju just suddenly disrupt it is possible i think everything is possible but it's not probable for most people you have to do some work to detune these things over time for me my work was i stuck myself i i worked in a uh for somebody else i was very successful working in a small situation for somebody else for 10 years and at the end of that 10-year period was right at the beginning of the great recession in 2008 and i was hired to work for the larger corporate entity of the the umbrella company that I had worked for for the past ten for somebody you know smaller, so I got hired into the big corporate entity, and that was right at the beginning of the recession. Uh, I was very fortunate. In fact, one of the things that I did at the beginning of the recession was that I decided not to participate in it, and I'd already done that. I'd applied that to a lot of things. I applied it to politics and, and all sorts of things in my life. That this recession is not going to impact me. And I owned a home in Florida, which you know was hit hardest by that recession uh, that I needed to sell. I had all these things going on in my life that I just chose not to participate in. And I went to work in this corporate situation where I earned more money year after year after year during the recession. So while everyone else was losing their homes and going broke and suffering and struggling, even though the business I worked for was contracting, it was a luxury business and we certainly weren't doing as much business, but I came in at the right time where I was displacing uh, these sort of fat cats, you know, that had been on the payroll for a long time, earning these huge salaries. And I just started making more money year after year after year. So it served me for a while. And I never really aligned with it. Even though I didn't participate in the recession, I look back now with what I know now and realize there was an element of fear that kept me in that job because it paid me more and more and more. So I was crushing it when it comes to law of attraction, you know, earning more money in, in mid six figures and all of this, you know, while everyone else was suffering, but there was still that fear present that wasn't fully detuned that stuck me in a job working with people and in a company and even with a product that I didn't really like that much. So I wasn't really, you know, loving every day of my work life. I was just happy to have the job. So the second five-year period of, of that, you know, the, the, where the recession was ending, that was a time in my life where I had gotten out of uh, a bad relationship that I'd stayed in for too long and faced my fears and ended it. And, and it all was a fantastic experience. I'd gotten myself into the best shape of my life at that point. Uh, I was like 300 pounds at one point and lost all this weight uh, and got into really good shape. I, my health has always been great, but my body was, you know, it's definitely up and down in terms of weight gain and stuff like that. Um, and I really had sort of worked on all of these ego-driven desires, and they all worked because I understood the law of attraction. The last frontier for me, though, was 
I didn't want to be in that industry anymore. I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to do this. And when you're making mid six figures and you're middle-aged, I was approaching 50, uh, it's a it's a very scary thing to jump out of a of a going career where you're so well respected and compensated, having a big title with no education. By the way, I didn't get past the tenth grade, mm. and here I was a VP in a major company. So to do that took me five years to detune the fear of that, and five years of trying to find other jobs to always have some roadblock that I would manifest so that I wouldn't get another job ultimately getting to a point where I couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't do it. I've got this thing that is so powerful and so important in my life. I was already writing my book uh, and I knew that I needed to, to just quit. I was very guided to just jump out of the airplane with no parachute, no, no significant wealth. You know, I, I had some money, you know, saved up and had a 401k and all that, but I wasn't sitting on millions of dollars and to just know that I was going to be okay. And I did, and I have been okay. And that's what, that's what is amazing is that there was a time that my nest egg was running out and I had started a coaching program and I had money coming in from the business, you know, that, that I created around the stream and all of that. But that's, you know, it's a business that ebbs and flows and it was fledgling. It still is. It's not even five years old yet, but the, I was really having a cash flow problem. And in the midst of that cash flow problem, a headhunter called me. And she said, you would be perfect for this job. Oh my gosh, it's half a million dollars a year. It's, it's exactly you know, up your alley. You would be the perfect candidate. I'm so excited to get you, you know, in these interviews. And I said, I would live under a bridge before I would ever go back into that industry. <laughs> and it was funny. We had this great conversation. And by the end of it, she bought my book. <laughs> I just said, I don't care whatever's happening to me. And I tell this story about uh, going... Uh, out here, our supermarkets are called Ralph's. Uh, it's our big chain supermarket. And going into Ralph's and being so broke that I was having to use coupons for the first time in my life to buy. I was on, uh, uh, not Atkins, but what's the other one that's like Atkins? Anyway. Keto or? Um, keto. I was on Keto. Yeah. And uh, I was buying bacon and tuna with coupons. I was so broke. And I drove up in a $90,000 Audi wearing a Rolex watch <laughs> with coupons to buy tuna and bacon, but I wasn't rushing to get rid of the car. So I mean, I'm like, this is going to be fine. You know, this is where we are. This is kind of fun. You know, I've never had to think about the price of things when I walk into a supermarket. And this is just a little thing that we're doing. You know, and I had my dog, Lola, and I'm like, we're going to be okay. You know, you're going to eat the best dog food. I'm going to eat the crappy tuna and we're going to be okay. <laughs> and we were. We were. And, you know, I look back now and I'm like, that was such a cool time that I had that experience. The times that I've struggled, I've learned not to judge while I'm in the struggle. We mm -hmm. call it a spin out. We all spin out on different topics. Yeah. And the spin outs have so much value in them because it gives us something new to create from. Right. So if you're just crushing life on every single topic, I don't think, I don't believe that anybody ever is. Right. You know, the stream has said, you know, even Beyonce suffers. Every everyone has their thing that they're suffering or struggling with. Everyone, yeah. because that's the human vibrational journey. We talked about, you know, up and down the spiral. So whatever you've got going on, labeling it a spin out. Hey, I'm in a spin out right now. I'm appreciating the spin out because I know there are gifts here for me. Mm -hmm. And living life like that is such a magical way to live your life. It, it just detunes all of the judgment, all of the fear. There's nothing to fear. Living under a bridge is an experience. And if mm -hmm. that is an experience that I have at some point, then that will be my experience. 
dying is an experience that we're all going to experience mm -hmm. yet we're taught to fear it it's so silly that we fear and judge death so much and it's the one thing we all know is inevitable for us right. and this this ticking you know clock of we're going to die of course we are we're not meant to be here forever we're not meant to be eternal and physical we're eternal strands of consciousness whatever that looks like right but in the physical experience of course we're going to die why bother fearing it and the thing is is when you have the mindset when you're in those spinouts that it, it is what it is and you're there trying to find whatever you can appreciate out of it that's when you often find yourself getting out of that spin out a lot quicker there's a lot of people who will go down and stay down because that is all they're observing they have fallen so far you know they had to get rid of the ninety thousand dollar car and they're driving around something that sometimes doesn't start every time you turn the key it's it's easy to get stuck there but like you just said, when when you're there and you're appreciating whatever it is, um, it brings you to that higher state. Your baseline is no longer as low as it would be for somebody who is, woe is me, look at where I'm at, and I can't believe how far I've fallen. And then that's all they're focused on in their life. And again, it's you know asking you shall receive. What you're focused on is what's going to pervade your life. So when you're down and you stay down because you're focused on it, it's it's kind of your own doing. So it's, yeah. you can observe it all. Well and the, the down thing that the, the, you, you referenced universal law and the, the stream has said there really are two universal laws. Everything else is sort of a variant, mm -hmm. the law of attraction that mm -hmm. we create consciously and we're bringing things to us, you know, based on our projected thought and polarity, right? That polarity is what creates the movement and the movement is what creates expansion of all things. And the way the stream has explained it. And I love this, that the, the high time, is a point of new creation, new thought. The low time is inspiration. Mm -hmm. That's all it exists for. And I referenced Steve Jobs earlier. And one of the interesting things about Apple or any big company, uh, if you if you read a book about how it was created, it wasn't. You know, we we came up with an idea, we launched a brand, and made billions in the end. You know, it's never that. It's always like a novel with twists and turns and ups and downs, just as stories are, because that's what life is. But that downtime. Uh, the reason I, I'm really fascinated with Steve Jobs in, in the creation of Apple, they spun out so many times, but every time they spun out, they came back stronger, having learned from the spin out. Mm -hmm. And the reason they are Apple today is because they didn't quit. That's it. That's the only thing. The only time you're unsuccessful with anything is when you quit, when right. you give up. I know coaches and all these people say that all the time. It's true because if you don't, if you allow the spin out to take you out, then you're done. And if that's your choice, it's fine. But if you're creating something, anything, and you are uh, going through vibrational flow, and instead of demonizing or judging or suffering in the in the spin out, appreciating it, appreciating this. Think about a relationship. How many marriages today end because they have a spin out, yeah. and that's it, and they don't appreciate and learn from what was offered to them in that low vibrational period of inspiration. The the vibration is always going to go back up. Mm -hmm. What pulls you down is the same energy that's going to take you right back up if you just allow it to. Mm -hmm. That really is the process. But we hold ourselves in low vibration in the judgment of being in the low vibration. This shouldn't be. This is bad. This is wrong. This is evil. Someone's doing this to me. All of that holds you in that low vibrational space. The second you stop all that and detune that and simply appreciate the pile of shit that you're sitting in, <laughs> then you solve it because your the appreciation causes your vibration to go back up mm -hmm. because sources up there are appreciating everything everything 
fill in the blank, it doesn't matter, appreciates everything because we're all eternal beings. Life and death is not viewed the same from that perspective. Mm. In a lot of the people that, you know, you had mentioned along the way that people will have their slumps. Everybody has their spin outs. And you'll notice a lot of people in the, the coaching industry that, you know, they'll talk about their places that they've been. Maybe they'll talk about their time where they were sleeping under the bridge, but that was so far downstream, right? They don't talk about the bad times that they have once they've hit a certain level of success. They won't talk about the slumps that they had. You know, I happen to know someone who worked hand in hand with Tony Robbins uh, as COVID was hitting and they had to pivot, you know, filling stadiums full of people. And you don't see big performers like a Tony Robbins talking about the panic that they had to cancel these events with 14,000 people in them and how they're in-person business that was focused on bringing in millions and millions of dollars a year from in-person events had to completely pivot. But I feel like those stories are what helps people in their darkest of times learn some really valuable lessons. Yes, yes, even these mega successful people who appear to have it all put together go through the oh shit moments and their panic moments too, even after they've hit their levels of success. And I think it's such a it's, a, it's very unfortunate that they try to sell such a perfect picture because number one, people don't learn from those things that maybe they wouldn't otherwise experience themselves. But number two, it almost becomes a level of expectation that your life isn't allowed to have those slumps because these mega successful people don't have their slumps. You know what I'm trying to get to? It just, yeah, it, that, that idea, well, I call it the Instagram version of life. And yeah. The coaching, you know, you're supposed to have the, the, the best body, the perfect health, the biggest bank account, the most successful business, the hottest partner, all the, the time. best car collection, and you've got to put this image out there that you're crushing it all the time. Right. And no one's crushing everything all the time. If you are, you're not human anymore. Yeah. And I, I think there's an old school mindset a marketing mindset that is if you're in the coaching or inspiration business that you have to be on this pedestal and that's where i've done things a little differently i've never placed myself on that pedestal when i have a spin out or something's going wrong in my life i jump on the podcast and i love sharing it possibly to my detriment i have crossed paths with people that are very well known that keep all of that stuff hidden right. and have given me advice that you can't show that stuff. You've got to be the God in their eyes. And that's what fills, you know, arenas and things like that. And I've just never been willing to do that. Last year, I brought in a marketing company. Uh, I finally had enough revenue coming in where I could get with my mind, the Rolls Royce marketing, you know, people to come in and really, you know, create all this structure and stuff. And I was excited about using some of my old corporate skills again. Uh, but what I wasn't excited about was when the marketing people wanted to use fear in the marketing. You know, take David's program or your life's going to be crap, you know? And I said, no, that's not our message. I can't go out and say something that's completely counter to the whole practice and the whole message. I'm not going, I'm, I'm going to say, you're going to have your life experience whether you take my program or not. Right. And they said, well, be prepared to not sell anything. I said, well, I'm okay with that because I've resigned to sharing the message and letting the message be the product. And then the things that we offer in terms of coaching and all that, they just happen. Right. They just happen. And if they and I have found that my personal life, you know, I live in a beautiful house. I drive a great car. I eat, you know, good restaurants. I have the life that I want to have. I don't have a thirst to necessarily I would love to have a stadium full of people being into all of this, but I don't have a thirst for it. Mm. I just don't have a thirst for it. And what I see changing is that people get a little bit of popularity 
And then they, that that ego kicks in right. and that thirst kicks in. And then you hear all of these, you know, insider stories where they are, they were just like religion. You know, there was something very rooted in source and universal law in the beginning, and then it gets corrupted, you mm -hmm. know, to make it something bigger. You add fear, you add judgment, you add a lot of illusion to it. And then suddenly you're on the bestseller list and everybody's celebrating you and it's good. And, you know, it's, it's feeding your ego. All that is lovely, but I'm not willing to quote unquote, sell my soul to get there. I love sharing the message the way that it is, whether it's to two people or 2000 or 2 million or whatever. And the thing is, is along the way, I feel like a lot of the popularity of that sort of person is starting to wane as well. Especially, you know, people will break away from, you know, corporate life or something that's unfulfilling and they'll discover a Tony Robbins or whoever else, you know, pops up in their awareness. And, you know, they'll go to a couple seminars, they'll buy a couple books, but then eventually I feel like they they feel like it turns stale. And I can speak to that from my own experience that, you know, learning this stuff from the early, you know, the early parts of the last seven or eight years when I first started diving into it, it was like those things are no longer appealing to me to the point where now I'm not even sure if I got a, a high value ticket to one of those big stadium events, I'd even want to go. You know, I'd maybe give to somebody who I think would benefit from it a little bit more, be into it a little bit more. I feel like the mystique of those events and those kinds of people are starting to fade away because more people are realizing exactly what you and I are talking about that that shiny Instagram facade that's on there doesn't exist and I've I've had listeners of this show write into me and say I totally appreciated such and such an episode because you seem like you have everything going for you you're a master manifester and it's great to hear that you don't have good days too and so i share a lot of that same similar stuff on episodes that i do solo stuff because you're a real person and i think that's what resonates with people who are going to be truly meshed with your mission and whatever it is you're trying to put out there you know i'd rather have the people who are really following along than just superficially trying to follow along with me because I'm going to tell them what they want to hear or make them feel good through some sort of a false message. And I feel like that's kind of spreading out there through a lot of other people. Uh, you know, one question I want to ask you is what is, what is so important about appreciation and gratitude in people's lives? Like what, why is that always constantly talked about and why is it such a, a big piece of living a fulfilling life? We talked about source earlier, source being the source of all creation. So anytime we have a desire that we want to create, we are creating from source and source is delivering everything. So source is delivering what we consider good and bad, but the things that we want, we are more aligned with source when we're allowing those desires to show up and believing them and trusting them. Usually the things that we don't want are more recycled thought, fear-based from lower on the spiral. So if source is the source of all creation and source is nothing but appreciation, some people would refer to it as love, which is fine. Love and appreciation of all that is, when you are aligned with that energy of appreciation, you are aligned with your source vibration, which is higher, which is where all of your, your desires are up there. Fears are down below, desires up ahead. Again, the whole spiral and positive and negative, all that, all these are human created terms. They're teaching tools. Uh, I don't believe source sees anything as negative, but but I like to reframe the lower vibrational stuff as simply inspiration because really that's what it's there for. Mm -hmm. But the the reason that we we talk about appreciation so much is because that moves your vibration up. Source is appreciating everything all the time. And you can do exercises where you move more and more and more 
toward seeing through the eyes of source because you are we're all of source we all are so it's always there and it's always available the ego overshadows it so we have this human experience it's vibrational but that appreciation raises your vibration every time in fact meditation is all about clearing your mind enough to release the resistance that overshadows your source mm. and then if you meditate you feel better that's a that's, that's the best way to know that you're allowing more source to be realized you simply feel better mm -hmm. you feel relieved the anxiety wanes all of that stuff you just feel better in that moment that is source whatever you want to label it you can label it anything that you want there's no right or wrong in, in our, any of our teachings so if you call that god or angelic energy or, or however you want to refer to that is fine i think it's all the same it's all source it's all love it's all protective and expansive i do believe the universe is delivering well-being all the time i think the earth is a fantastic example of that that we'll have little storms that come through mm -hmm. but generally the earth is expanding and thriving you know even though humanity is polluting it and doing all of these things the earth is always going to be abundant and is always going to be fine we are the same way but we are taught not to believe that we are again we're sort of indoctrinated uh, into this matrix of beliefs that you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to obey the rules and you've got to go to school and you've got to get the right education and know the right people and behave the right way there's positive to that certainly it creates structure for us it, it creates a belief system we all default into a belief system everyone the, the the most interesting thing to me is that when someone claims to be an atheist Right. Uh, I watch Bill Maher a lot. That's pretty much the only political thing that I pay attention to is Bill Maher. I like him because I think he's very intelligent and he has people from all sides on. And I like that aspect of his show. But he's an atheist. He even made a movie, a documentary called Religious uh, a while back. I just rewatched it the other day. Very interesting. So he does not believe in anything, uh, you know, in, in religion or spirituality or anything. He thinks it's all kooky and nutty that you're just born and you die and that's it. But the interesting thing is, is that then he defaults right into a political belief system that really becomes his God. Yeah. You know, he, he's that's his belief system is politics. Some people's belief system uh, is materialism. You know, make enough money. That's all that matters. Money, money, money. We see that all over the place. You have enough money. You're going to crush life. You're going to always win. That's their God. And that's their belief system. I even know people I used to work out at a private gym in Seattle for four years and the trainers were bodybuilders or ex-bodybuilders and their belief system was fitness right everything was fitness you know you want to be successful you got to be fit you want to do this you got to be fit they lived fitness and i hung out with them a couple of times away from the gym and it was really interesting to watch they didn't know what to do with themselves outside of the gym <laughs> their whole life was gym and they got outside the gym and they're they're kind of like where are we where you know where are we out here and that was their belief system and we all have a belief system we it's like our human operating system just like a computer mm. so what i've created in taya is a belief system that is so stripped of ego and so rooted in universal law that you can be or do or have anything in that belief system there's no judgment in it but it roots you in that appreciation piece that allows the things that you want to show up. Mm. It's it's funny because even religion, it, it, it you know it leads towards the source creator whatever but it's still a human construct the way that we dogmatically create the structures around a religion um you know Taoism is a perfect example how it was supposed to be basically uh you know one of its most natural reductions of connecting to the universe as possible and they turned it into a religion you know and it, it's gotten quite dogmatic um 
all the things you just mentioned though they're all human constructs you know do they actually really exist when you step way back and look at them you look at this tiny little speck that we're living on does a financial system matter does a political system matter does how big your muscles how big you can grow your muscles yeah, it's, all, it's a matrix it's a matrix of beliefs yeah. that you can choose to give power to or not and you know the, the, the thing about taya it's, it's interesting as i was talking about not following teachers uh, one of my students, uh, and he's a really good friend of mine now, he's in my mastery level program, uh, he studied Buddhism. And I've never studied Buddhism. And he's always amazed at how much this is like the original version of Buddhism. Mm. How much it's just about appreciation of what is and allowing of what is, whatever the experience is. And I have never studied that. And what I think is cool about turning off all the teachers and allowing my stream to be its own thing is finding the similarities in all of these things, including religion. There are things that I get, I, you know, I shunned the Bible pretty early on because I just didn't believe in all the rules and the dogma and all that. Uh, but now that I've gotten deeper and deeper into my teaching and, and my understanding of what's being offered by the stream, and I've released judgment of, of religions and things like that, I can go back into appreciation of them, that they're rooted in believe in yourself and believe in source and and understand that abundance is assured. And then all these other rules that were tacked on later was about controlling society and creating communities for commerce and all of that stuff. Mm. But it's all rooted in the same thing. Yeah. So you've, you've mentioned Taya several times, which that's, that stands for trust your abundance. Why don't we dive into what that actually is before we wrap up the episode? Um, because you've mentioned a few times I've looked into it myself, but I think this is something that would be really valuable for a lot of people that I think resonate with a lot of the material that's on this show and a lot of the spiritual concepts and, and consciousness concepts that we discuss on here all the time with different guests. But dive into a little bit about what that is and, and you know, just like a snippet of what people can expect if they decide to dive into that course. Sure. Uh, well, and Taya is more than, we have courses around Taya and a lot right. of teachings around Taya, but it's a belief system and it's available to everybody. And we talk about it and teach it all the time everywhere. So there's not necessarily a price tag, you know, a course right. attached to it or anything like that. Um, so Taya stands for Trust Your Abundance. What I came to realize is that all of these, this, this knowing that I had and what Abraham was offering, what all the other teachers are offering is great but I needed a structure to actually implement it in my life. So I refer to Taya as the practical application of the streams teachings, which are source teachings, very stripped of ego, very stripped of rules, very stripped of judgment, absolutely no worship in, in there. It is universal law, pure and simple, and how to move through vibrational flow and tools to systematically raise your vibration. That's what it is. The reason I created it is because I saw a lot of frustration I, you know, I'm still a business person. So I saw in the Abraham community, a lot of frustration with applying Abraham's teachings in, in their lives. Uh, because Esther and her great wisdom, she, you know, does what she does. Here it is. Go forth and, and be into it or not and, and use it or not. But here it is. And that, that's what they do. For me, I needed a structure. And so I created a structure for myself. I'm very type A. So I do things like that. And in, in creating that structure for myself, I decided I'm going to write a book and I'm going to teach a course and do a podcast. The course was the third thing that came along. And I had no idea that it was going to turn into a mindset practice and have a name and all of that. The course was Abundance Breakthroughs. And I was teaching the course really as a supplement to the book and a podcast just to make a living. Mm -hmm. You know, I jumped out of that airplane. I still needed to make a living. And I really started out. But my intention was 
to give people structure that like I had created that worked so well for me. That was my whole intention there. And so through that intention, that's what manifested my my uh, abundance block course uh, turned into a full-blown mindset practice seemingly overnight. Mm. And it turned into Taya. Taya that turned into Taya Boot Camp. Uh, then that turned into the Taya Academy. And then we have all these people that are now calling themselves Taya's and Taya practitioners and all of this stuff all over the world because I realized that the most important key in all of these teachings is the trust part. Trusting the universe, defaulting mm -hmm. back. The stream says over and over again, always return to trust. You've probably heard that uh, saying, this too shall pass, you know, yeah. when you're suffering. I love that saying because it will. But I love it and return to trust mm -hmm. because if you trust the universe, if you trust your own well-being, no matter what, who is, you know, barking at your door, what threats you're perceiving, what fears you might have, if you detune all of that stuff and return to trust, you will always be okay. Always. That's great advice. That is, that's probably one of the, one of the wisest thing I think if anybody is going through rough times that they can actually hear because especially when they hear from people who've been in those low places, you know, it's, it's the how, how does it happen is all the time. How, how many, how, how many times I've heard that I can't count, but it's when people are at their lowest, you can give the stories and give them advice like what you just said, but it's always, well, well, how, how do I do that? How do I just trust in the universe? How can I trust that this is going to pass because this has gone on for such a long time? And it's, I guess it's just, a, it's a knowing, you know, it's something you can't almost just describe. It's just something you have to get deep rooted within yourself, just like a belief in anything, a belief in your parents, a structure, a political system, whatever it is, it has to be. A it takes time belief. to develop. And I, I love those little sayings though, because when we're below neutral, we're down in the lower vibration, we're different beings down there than we are when we're up. That's why when we're angry, we'll act in ways that we would never, you know, we'll say things we quote unquote don't mean, but you did mean them in that vibration. You know, you were in a negative 15 or negative 10 angry vibration. You were that being. I'm a lot less apologetic now than I used to be because I realized that, you know, that's that was what I was experiencing in that moment. So I don't, not necessarily apologetic, but self-deprecating. I don't beat myself up now about my low vibration time like I used to. Right. Well, I'm a spiritual teacher. I shouldn't be behaving like that. I shouldn't be, you know, yelling at the guy in the, you know, whatever. And and I don't do a whole lot of that. Generally, I used to do a whole lot more than that. And I've detuned that throughout my lifetime. But when I do, I forgive myself for it instantaneously mm -hmm. because I understand that I am I'm down in this low vibration. I'm behaving differently and therefore thinking differently. And having that little reminder return, oh yeah, I need to return to trust. I need to, this too shall pass, whatever it is, those things are very helpful to sort of pull out when you're in that low vibration and you don't necessarily have the tools to just be at the top of your spiral instantaneously. You have to sort of work your way up sometimes, but that's part of the human journey is dipping down and having that low vibe moment, you know, of being annoyed by something or just being tired or, uh, you know, just not being in the mood for something that if you were in a higher vibrational space, you would be a totally different being. Mm-hmm. And I think it's valuable for people to hear from teachers like you who are experienced in this to, to almost give them permission to have those low points. Because like I said, the opposite side is you see these people who have gone off into the hills and meditated for 40 years, who have been, you know, a priest or something their whole entire life. And you don't see 
their swings and they don't talk about their swings. So I think that's a lot of valuable information that you were able to give to people. And I'm sure a lot of the people who follow along with you resonate with, with that a lot. Um, so as we wrap this interview up, what is some of the best ways that people can get more of you and your podcast and all the things that you have going on? Well, we are the Stream of David everywhere. So the Stream of David podcast, we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok. Uh, we even have a Patreon page uh, with different levels that you can subscribe to different you know levels of, of weekly videos and stuff that we do where we teach this stuff. Uh, and then you can Google the Taya practice. There's a lot of information out there around the Taya practice. Uh, so really, it's as simple as that. The Stream of David, we have a website, we have everything. So just kind of dig into the Stream of David and you'll find it. We do have a book, uh, The Stream Eternal Wisdom for a Better Life. That was published a couple of years ago. That's my journey into channeling. And then we have a Taya book that's coming out. Uh, I hope that it's going to be published in 2023. Uh, I took four years writing it and rewriting it. And now I feel like Taya is fleshed out enough. And I've taught it to enough people all over the world where the, the book is ready to go now. So I'm really excited to get that published. That's awesome. We'll have to have another conversation when that does come out because I, I love diving into new books and concepts and stuff like that. So, And that sounds like it can be sort of a philosophical practice in and of itself. So I'm, I'm interested to dive into Taya a little bit more. You know, I, I checked it out a little bit in the run-up to our interview here, but um, I would consider myself, if you want to call it a spiritual practice, as an omnist. I really observe all the great little a la carte portions of different religions and spiritual practices. But again, I talk about them as beliefs, philosophies, like it's all the same thing to me. So, you know, along the lines of this, um, it seems like it's an inner knowing and trust and, and uh, you know, another way to connect to source, God, whatever you want to call it. But um, I'm intrigued to dive into a little bit more. So we'll have to have a few more conversations. And let's uh, let's stay on the microphone after I hit the stop button in a few minutes. So, um, but I want to thank you, David, for, for coming on. This has been an awesome, awesome interview. And I'm very, very pleased to have crossed paths with you and had this conversation. Well, thanks for having me. It was a really good conversation. Uh, it, was a, it was a lot of fun and you allowed me to share a lot. So thank you. I do appreciate that. A huge thanks to David Strickle for the amazing conversation. Check out everything he has going on at thestreamofdavid.com and check out the Stream of David podcast. All the links where you can find them are in the show notes. And please be sure to head to livethislife.org to keep up with everything that's going on with the podcast and be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on as well as leave those ratings and reviews for us. It will help us reach the masses in even greater numbers. If you are a conscious thought leader, an expert on inspiration, or have your own amazing story to tell about how you've manifested your best life, we want you on the show. You can connect with us by writing to connect at livethislife.org. That's C-O-N-N-E-C-T at livethislife.org. Or you can reach out to us through the show's Calendly page, at calendly.com forward slash live this life. And be sure to check out everything going on with the podcast at livethislife.org.